Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world, and we find out who the person is behind the name. My name is Michael Pope, and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our next guest? The next guest makes it clear to his audiences what he's not. He's not an Olympian or an astronaut or even an elite athlete. He claims he's just a nerdy dad from a country town of average height with poor eyesight. Oh. Hang on a sec, Michael. Have we got the wrong speaker today? I don't know. This better get more interesting. Go on. Well, let's have a look. Despite being a self-confessed non-athlete and scientist, he has managed to compete in and win some of the world's toughest races, as well as build multi-million dollar businesses in multiple fields. He says knowledge without experience is pointless and experience without learning is an opportunity lost. Here to explain why he's not an Olympian or an astronaut or an elite athlete, our next guest is the rogue scholar himself, Paul Watkins. Good morning. It sounds like I need a better marketing agent, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, can, can I just pick you up on this nerdy thing? Because I challenge you on the title. Did you spend your Saturday nights in high school doing homework? And have you raised your kids telling them that the safest place in the schoolyard is the library? Because that's what I've done. Now, I haven't told them the safest place is the library, but I was the kid at school who just couldn't do footy, couldn't do cricket. And, you know, I understood Dungeons and Dragons and... I did cross country for a sport because it was the most coordinated thing I could manage and you didn't have to be picked for a team. So that really, you know, those criteria I loved. I used to play, uh, well, I didn't used to play, that's the point. I used to hang around with the kids playing, um, you know, Aussie rules football, but I would always volunteer to be the umpire. So yep. I was still part of the team, but they wouldn't hurt me so much. Clearly, um, um, clearly I've joined the, um, the Nerdy Sports <laughs> Podcast. I might just leave now because I play basketball, football and tennis. So no, there's always one. Yeah. Now, now, this is all tongue in cheek, of course, Paul, because anyone visiting your website, paulwatkins.com.au, will very quickly see that you have achieved incredible athletic, let alone business, and we'll get to, to that in a moment. But just can I just focus on the, the athletic um, endurance kind of stuff you've done? Just give us a couple of quotes. Well, no, I'll quote you because you're probably so modest. It says, he has also managed to race in some of Australia's and the world's toughest ultra marathons, including being one of only eight people in the world and the first Australian to finish and win the 614 kilometre, 6633, whatever that is, Arctic Ultra. My question to you, why do you do this? What motivates you to put yourself to the edge and back? This all started in a desperate bid to get out of work um, and just a series of poor life choices. Very quickly in a snapshot, I was in retail. I was an, I'm a pharmacist by trade, so I was in a nerdy trade. And I very rapidly found myself going, as a pharmacist, I made a really good business person. So I tended to grow these really big businesses. And I reached a point very rapidly where I was completely and utterly overworked. I was just buried in business, you know, seven days a week, 365, you name it. Yeah. And I realized that I had to make a change. Like, you know, if you, if you die with the most money, you don't win. So I went on a really small trek in a bid just to, to create some personal space and take a break. And I loved it and realized that I could do something like that. And so I went out and did something a little harder and then just a little harder. And through iteration, all of a sudden, I found myself climbing mountains and, and doing long races. And just I explored that from there. Is that one of the lessons that you now share from the stage, the idea of if you're facing a mountain, to take it in small steps and progressively push yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And part of it is just 
not closing doors off mentally and emotionally before you start. Like if I had a yearbook in high school or in university, my photo would be, you know, guy least likely to ever climb a mountain or do an <laughs> ultra marathon, you know, this guy. Um, and then I've gone out and done those things. So it really is, it's it's often people will box themselves up and go, oh, I'd love to do that, but I, I'm not that guy. I couldn't do that. I'm like, well, I wasn't that guy either. I didn't think I was that person. But some of those things just, you open some doors and follow them through. So what did you learn about yourself when you did open that door? that I have a lot more capacity than I thought. Once you stop valuing yourself by your career or your degree or the money you earn or the title you have, you open up all these doors and all of a sudden you're like, well, I have a passion about doing this or experiencing that or I'd love to be the person who went and attempted that. Then go do that. Um, and part of my journey is how I've attempted that and how I've failed at that. Like the successes are always wonderful and people find that exciting and motivating, but the failures are as important a part of that story. So a lot of my story is about when it's gone wrong as much of, as when it's gone right. Michael alluded uh, just previously in regards to some of the amazing adventures you've had. Quickly share with us what are the most interesting experiences you had on one of those adventures and maybe one of the um, the scariest. So listeners, settle back because <laughs> one of Paul's things is storytelling and we'll get to why he finds that so important in a moment. <laughs> but tell us a couple of stories. Well, here's one that I, I tell and people never believe me, but it's, it's true. And you can Google this and I've got the receipt so you can tell that this is true. For that race of 6633, in getting to the start line, like it's a long drive. We had an overnight in a town called Dawson. And it's it's like Sovereign Hill, like it's like a, an old country town. And there's a pub there, and they have a tradition called the Sour Toe Cocktail. And it works like this: you go in, you get a shot of Yukon Jack whiskey, which is the world's worst whiskey. Like you can <laughs> use it to remove paint, but you can also drink it if you need to. And into said shot, they place a preserved human toe <laughs> you heard that correctly like, people in the town of dawson in their will will bequeath their toes to the pub so you have the shot now so is it a fresh is, is it a fresh toe, toe paul no. is it, is it a fresh toe do they rotate the toe out every single time or is it sadly just... no okay sadly right. no yeah yep. so on. you drink the shot the lips must touch the toe um <laughs> concerningly there is a financial disincentive it's a two and a half thousand dollar fine if you swallow the toe why you need to have a fine to stop people, I don't know, but they do. And any presentations, I show the video of me doing this because everyone goes, it's a great story, but there's no way you did that and here are the receipts. So I've done that. I've had a shot of whiskey with a preserved human toe in it because, you know, that's what you do. In terms of scary moments, there's, there's all manner of those. I think probably one of the ones that really ring the bell for me was um, on my second expedition on Denali, which is the highest peak on the North American continent in Alaska, we'd reached a point where I had to get on the sat phone and, and do something you, you never think you'd do in your life. And I was on the sat phone to my wife going, hey, look, you haven't heard from me for the best part of a month. You're going to read some stuff on the internet. We're alive. We're okay. Mm. Others are not. Our team's okay. Um, please tell my mum I'm fine. You know, everything's all right, you know, despite what you might be seeing on the internet, those kind of things. And you, you have that experience and you hang up and you go, how did we get here? Like I used to be the nerdy kid at school and now I'm, I'm hanging off one of the world's toughest mountains. I mean, that year Denali was was more deadly than Everest um, and I'm making th that kind of phone call. How, how do we get here? So that journey and, and getting to that point is some of those things I love to explore. Indeed, and how you got there and how you came through it is something we won't delve in now, but you'll just have to see Paul in flight. But my question to you is, have you been close to death and how did that change you? I wouldn't say I've been close to death. Like I've, I've been in environments, particularly really cold environments or high altitude mountaineering, where you realise that 
the margin of error has become very, very, very small. Like small mistakes will be punished disproportionately. So it's it's a very different environment in either ultra racing in these environments or mountain climbing in these environments where you have to be 100% present 24 hours a day, seven days a week, mm. for potentially months. That's a very different mindset, realising that a simple thing like missing clipping into that bolt may mean you and the three people tied to you are about to have a vastly different ending to their expedition. So it, it really changes your perspective on, on how you deal with minute things and how you have discipline about everything you do. Obviously, your first ex- expedition was the Himalayas, but how did you go from doing that first expedition right through to you know these incredible endurance races in extreme environments? Iteration, really. Like My first little trip was a very basic trek in Nepal, really low-level stuff, and I loved it. And then I went and did the Kokoda track, and I loved that. And then I went to New Zealand and did something a little harder. And then I went to Nepal and did something a little harder, and then just kind of started moving from continent to continent, doing something a little harder and a little harder, and iterated that way. The Denali story, when I got home from that trip, like we still had a successful trip, and I was still able to summit. But when you're a single guy, it's, you know the, the risk-award ratio is different to when you're married and kids. You're playing with other people's chips now. So I came home and hung the boots up for a while, but because I'm still me and I still have those needs and that identity of wanting to explore what I can do, I got back into running, which I could do, and just went trying a little harder and try a little harder and try a little harder. And then next thing you know, you're doing a 600-kilometre ultramarathon in the middle of the Arctic Circle because that's how things work. Yeah, indeed. I flagged earlier that you have a, a passion for storytelling. It says on your website, a quote from you, stories are the perfect vehicle. They bind communities, store knowledge, preserve customs, and cross boundaries. Can you expand on that a little? I've always found that the speakers that I connect to the most are the storytellers, people who bring stories about their journey. Like it's great to have the motivational quotes and the posters and those kind of things, but people want the journey because they can invest in that journey, see themselves in that journey, and then they take that away with them. And that's part of the joke of me always saying, I'm not an astronaut, I'm not an Olympian or an elite athlete or anything like that. Those stories are wonderful, but people leave and they go, well, I love that story, but I'm never going to be an Olympian. So you can kind of disconnect a little bit. But I turn up, they read my resume and kind of expect Bear Grylls or Chuck Norris to walk out. And then the Harry Potter kid walks out and I'm like, <laughs> who is this guy? The chemist I, I, up I, at the high street. Comes, yeah, exactly. But I, I can say to people, look, yeah, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home nerdy dad. I'm below every tight and I wear glasses all the time. And, and that makes me normal, like you. But <laughs> that allows people to have that connection of going, well, hang on, he's not elite. He's not Bear Grylls or Jocko. or anything. Like, He looks a lot like I do. So yeah. how did he you, do that? Yeah. And then what can I do? Sorry, Paul. Um, it's very flattering when you say, you know, just like you, but I, I haven't ran a, a multi-discipline, you know, million dollar pharmacy network and I haven't helped other startups and I haven't done any of that. But what I'm hearing very clearly is that you're very relatable as a speaker on stage. So take us to that moment where this business acumen and your sportsmanship has taken you to the thought that I would like to share these learnings. I think it began really basically with, I started speaking to schools, like high schools and and senior school students. And we talked about some of my Denali expeditions and failure. And I realized as I was talking to these kids that they have all this pressure on, on what they think they should be doing and who they think they have to be. And these expectations and the career that they have to have and all that that entails. And as I started talking, going, well, you don't have to box yourself in. Like you don't have to be your parents. You don't have to be your friends. You just have to be you. And if you have no idea who that is, Welcome to the human race. That's okay. And as we started to explore that, and I looked at the tools that I had used 
to progress from being that that kid in year 11 and year 12 who was absolutely guaranteed he was going to be a doctor to someone who never got into that career and ended up doing all these things that he never imagined. How, how would that journey evolve? What tools did I learn? When I failed and fell flat on my face, what did, what did I use to get up? And as I just started sharing those stories, people were like, can you come to talk to this school? Hey, I've got a business that has that problem. Can you come and talk to these people? Mm. And it kind of, again, like my athletic career, just iterated from there. And as you talk to more and more of those people, you see that there's a, an interconnected trail of traits that these people are looking for. They just want to hear, how do, how do I do this? How do I become more disciplined? How do I value myself? How do I tell myself a better story than the one I'm telling myself now? And that's what we talk about. In your TEDx talk, Clearing Your Path to Adventure, by the way, um, it's an excellent talk and well done. You mentioned and you recommend we should all go out and have some more adventures. But how do we do that? And what do you mean by the crisis of faith? I think people have the crisis of faith of going, oh, Paul, I heard you did this and you did that. And I'd love to do that. But I'm just an accountant or I'm just a plumber or I'm just a stay-at-home parent or whatever it is and we box what about just a, a podcast interviewer do you, do you or just a too? podcast interviewer exactly <laughs> but we box ourselves in like you have that business card and it's a temple that you just lock yourself away and all of a sudden that you you go i could never do that because i'm like well i've had that crisis of faith all the time like i i remember vividly being on a russian military jet hitching a ride into the antarctica sitting there going I'm a nerdy, skinny pharmacist kid here on one of my first major expeditions. And all the people either side of me are multi-Everest summiteers and they're, you know, they're off to their, their expedition station in the middle of Antarctica and they've done it 10 times and they're asleep on the plane already. And I'm there just sweating bullets. <laughs> what am I doing here? But it's about having that journey and opening that door to yourself and allowing to do that. The reason I say people need adventure in their lives is it allows you to realise what you're capable of. It expands your capacity. And it also allows us to have a conversation about the importance of doing hard things. And I think that's a conversation that has lost a lot of today. There's a lot of motivational stuff. And I always say motivation looks great on posters, but discipline puts you on the podium. So we have to have those conversations about why do I need to do hard things? What are hard things and how do I do them? And how do I have that discipline? And then what does that allow me to do? Versus I went there, got really motivated, went home and remembered I'm just a podcast interviewer and mm. then I'm back to my life. We have yeah. to break out of that cycle. If I was looking to to sort of take up some of your advice and, and and go and do some something hard, whatever that is, what would you what would be the first step that I should do? I don't I haven't defined what it is I want to do. What would be the first yeah. step? A lot of this is about just mentally training yourself to understand that you can actually do hard things. Now the problem is people check the socials and decide that well I want to do hard things so I immediately must be David Goggins get up at 4:30 every morning and run a marathon have my kale shake post about it on Instagram and do all this before the kids are up and I've I've read written my book like no you don't we need to start in a way that's manageable and you can do and I often give the example of going what I want you to do tomorrow is set your alarm for two minutes earlier than today. Now, get yeah. up as soon as what, 11 30 god yeah. i know unbelievable but two minutes and get up as soon as it, and the next day do another two minutes and do that for a month and just have the discipline to get up yeah. the second it goes off and at the end of the month you now have an hour a day that you didn't have before sure. and all of a sudden you're like oh i could probably do this in that hour i could do that or i could knock that job off or read this or go outside and have my cup of mm. tea and watch the sunrise or or if it's you have lunch you know whatever time you're getting up <laughs> It's just about having the exercise to go, you know what? You are very capable of doing simple hard things, some healthy hardship 
is really valuable. So that when the, the knocks do come in mm. and you know the kids are being hard work or the boss is being a nightmare or, or something comes out of left field and knocks you, you're like, you know what? I have a mindset that I, I do hard things and I overcome them. I often talk to people about what do you think the long-term consequences are of doing something hard every day and overcoming it? What do you think that does to your mindset? So that when the real hard things come, you're already, you, you're prepared. You've got a bulwark against that. So in your experience talking to people, what is the commonality about why they don't have that motivation? What are they putting in front of themselves that they see as insurpassable? I think for a lot of people, it's like that crisis of faith again of saying, you know, I can't do it because I'm just insert whatever belief you right, have. Right, 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 right. And the flip of that is they believe that, you know, everyone else who was out doing these things are superheroes. Mm. And they're not, like... I don't wear my underwear on the outside. Like mm. the, the people aren't superheroes. When you meet the people who do a lot of these things, you think, oh, I'd love to do that, but I could never do it. When you meet them, they're just normal humans. Yeah. And you realize that they just happen to be disciplined mm. and I don't fear failure. And neither are things are genetic gifts. Like you, you didn't have to be born with that skill. You can do that regardless of where you come from or who you are. And there's nothing wrong with wearing the underpants on the outside, as we nerds do. In your answers, you've you've very subtly been announcing the various keynotes that you offer, which are fantastic. Can we talk about what someone gets when they book Paul Watkins for a conference or, a, or an event? As I said earlier, storytelling for me is the vehicle. It allows you to connect. So I love giving storytelling keynote so we have the messages in there but the story has to be the vehicle i mean you can you can throw data at people and all the motivational quotes you want in the world but you give them the story and you interweave the values and the lessons in the story and people will remember well after you have left and gone and flown home and that's what i want them to do i want to take away the story and go he looked and sounded a lot like me Mm. what could i do because i've got these dreams that i want to follow and how do i do that so i'm very much a Keynote, I do love Q&A if we can fit it in because once people kind of relax, you can really dig into what's important to them um, in terms of what's going on up here and, and the stories. I've thankfully got a large backlog of stories we can we can call upon yeah. to delve into those points. I noticed on your website, there are a couple of things that really struck me and, and I guess you call them key learnings from your keynotes. I'll read both of them out, um, but I'll get you to answer them uh, separately. So <laughs> the first was failure gives you knowledge and experience. I, I love that because obviously we all fear failure. Just elaborate on, on what you mean by that. Well, two things to that. First is that people talk about, I want to find my limits. I want to push the boundaries and what have you. That only happens if you fail. Like you actually have to fail to find out where the line is. Like if you keep going, I did it, I did it, I did it. Well, then you haven't really pushed and found where that boundary and that line is yet. People have this fear of failure because I think, well, if I couldn't do it, if I failed publicly, it must be because I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve it. So I talk about the races and climbs I've had where I have absolutely and utterly failed. Then what I took away from that. Um, so, for example, the, the Arctic race, like I failed the first time I attempted that. What did I come away with? Well, apart from being frozen solid, hallucinating and starving. Did you lose a toe? Because <laughs> Did you lose a toe? Because I know where you can put them. I, I can get I can get some dollars for that. Yeah. Um, but I also came out with knowledge and experience. And then two things I didn't have before. And I only gained those through that failure, through getting to that point where I failed. I still came away with new tools. So what do I do with those new tools? Like you can close a book and say, I attempted and I failed and that was it. Or you can write a new chapter because you have new tools. So you can use those tools to write the next chapter. You don't need to fear failure. It's part of the process. Great. And the second one was value yourself about the things that are important to you. 
Yeah, I love this. I play this terrible game with people where if you go to an event and people ask you, what do you do? I give different people different answers. I love <laughs> the truth. But they treat you differently. So if you say you're a pharmacist, which is true, you can see the wheels turn about what you earn, you got a degree, so on and so forth. Uh, and I'll tell someone else I drive a, a forklift in a warehouse, which is true. I own the business, the forklift, and the warehouse. We leave that out. But I drive a forklift in the warehouse. <laughs> and again, they treat you differently, not evilly, just that's how we work. But then you tell people you're a stay-at-home dad, which is also true, and the wheels stop. Because wow. now I have no idea where you fit. I don't know what you earn. Are you rich, poor, yeah. trapped? Like, why, why would you do that? Like, I don't know where you fit in the hierarchy, so I don't know how to place you and deal with you. So it really is about allowing people to get outside of that box of going, I am my business card in my career. Well, no, you need to value yourself by things that are important to you. I derive a lot of identity out of being a stay-at-home dad to my two boys. That's great. It's an unpaid gig, gets me to no cool meetings and you know, it doesn't look great on a business card, but it's important to me and part of my story. Fantastic, Paul. What you are clearly are multi-dimensional. Um, you are uh, a successful business person. You're a great keynote speaker. You are an adventurer and you're a very proud stay-at-home dad as well. And all of that makes clearly it very relatable for any audience when you're up on stage. Thank you so much for, for leading and living the life you have and then finding those lessons in it that we can all relate to because really there is a nerd in all of us and uh, <laughs> glad to meet another one. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for the time. And if you want to book Paul to speak at your next conference and event, please go to paulwatkins.com.au. You've been listening to Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC Michael Pope with our next guest is. More guests can be found through iTunes or just visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.